Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Rain Stop Play. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, this week will be a bit of a catch-up because we've been away for a couple of weeks, just chatting about what's going on. And then we've got a big pitch inspection talking about the shape of international and domestic cricket and how those two things are going to uh, coincide with each other over the next decade plus. Uh, a couple of really good pieces we've got to chat off. It will be a full Rain Stop Play shortly. Will will be joining us, but I'm going to start by saying hello to Glenn. What's going on? All right, uh, not much, uh, to be honest. Uh, it's, it's been quite quiet. Um, uh, a bit of work here and there. I meant any to have sport, like, any... any sport for us well, to, to dive into. That's the, that's exactly the thing. I'm kind of on my, I'm getting my, my pre season ready for my full um, footy league. So we've stopped the summer one. Ultimate right. Frisbee's finished as well. So I'm no, really, I'm at, a bit of a... I've got very, I was hoping you wouldn't come to me first because I have ah. such little to offer. But, but don't worry, listeners, because I know Dan will have some good playing stories in just a moment. I do, so I very rarely do. I very rarely do. Zach, how you doing? Anything for us this week? Yeah, I played a game oh, maybe about 10 days ago now. T20 game. Bowled myself, which is... For, I've been captaining, but I haven't really been nice. bowling myself. And I bowled myself. And yeah, bowling's not been good. Glenn's, Glenn's reacting. Glenn remembers me at under 11s. You know, it, it was good then. Um, but yeah, I bowled myself. And I took a wicket with a, an in-swing Yorker that hit off stump. So as a, as nice. a left armour... I've retired from all cricket now. I think I'm never <laughs> going to bowl a better ball than that. So I, that's it. Me done. Career over. So I can I can jump in here because I was watching uh, Ireland uh, South Africa the T20 yesterday, which was really good fun. It was a cracking game. And Zach, you reminded me of George Dockerell, who used to play for our beloved Somerset, because he started out, you know, teenager, left arm, well, left arm slow. I know you were left arm slow, fast, I imagine. But um, <laughs> but he completely, I feel like just like you, he effectively completely retooled himself. He's now a pretty big hitting kind of middle order batter, and he doesn't really bowl much. He only but he bowls very very occasionally. So it was a funny parallel. I forget because growing up. Dan, Zach was always a bowler, you know, either opening or first change, and we would bat pretty low down the order. So it's it's interesting how you've switched that around. What's it like bowling yourself as captain, Zach? Is it tough? Do you have to, is it like do you struggle to bring yourself on or do you back yourself? Well, so I do struggle to bring myself on, and in the first game I did it, I bowl I bowled a uh, an eighteen run over, including two, you know, shoulder high full tosses that got. Sp- Smacked back over my head for six. So I was like, that's it. That's me done for a while. And I, you know, just haven't had any confidence for myself on since really until. until An in-swinging Yorker hits off stump. Excellent. Well, I did play cricket this week for the first time in, played once in May. I only fill in for my mate's village team when they're short. Uh, Wanted to fill in. We we bowled first. I wanted to fill in for a couple of overs, but my mate who was captain bowled himself and went at 12s. That's his own fault uh, for six overs. I could have filled in three of them. You never know. Anyway, bat at six. So actually, I was umpiring. I love umpiring. It was a 45 overside game. Umpiring is so much fun. Uh, second ball, there was there was a thirds game, and they had a first team bowler in just because he was away the week before and wanted a game. And bowls this left arm, like Sam Curran esque left arm that started outside off stump, swung to hit top of middle. 
and I'm, I've seen her opening battle go to that one. Okay, great, whatever. Anyway, I'm 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 in at 28 for four. Not great. But anyway, I don't net or practice or anything. This guy's <laughs> still bowling. Yeah, the open ball's still on. Survive a couple of deliveries. Then I see a nice and wide one. I'm, I'm going to leave that alone. We're in a bit of trouble here. Jags back. Death rattle. Soft shouldered oh. arms and a bit bold. However, yeah. boys, <laughs> no ball. Out comes the right arm of the standing umpire and he's overstepped. Would you believe it? Never, ever happens to you before. It's something you very rarely see. Cricket, a no ball in village, village cricket. <laughs> and I've popped his shouldered arms to like one that's nipped back. So I was like, oh my God, i got a second chance here. Two balls later, missed a straight one, LBWC later. Thanks for coming. <laughs> Number six. <laughs> we lost in a 45 over a side game by just under 200 runs. We conceded 275 and got, oh, sorry, 270 and got bowled out for 73. Hey, Dan, don't worry about that. We got hit for 406 a couple of weeks ago and got what? bowled out for 80 on that, one of the really, really hot days. It was in horrendous. a T20. Bloke hit, bloke hit 180 <laughs> from about 110 balls, not out. We're seeing it like an absolute beast ball. That's insane. That's insane. I'd, bowl, I'd bowl top of off to him and he'd just smack it straight Scott. up over my head. It would come out and I'd be like, oh, that's a decent enough ball. Surely, surely he might just, you know, single. Nope, gone. Gone. Well, you know, that actually makes me feel a lot better. So thank you for that. And uh, I love village cricket. It's the most fun day ever. You can get battered and just have so much fun and get no runs and not bowl and take not take a catch as I did. Uh, but I had the most fun. <laughs> and a couple of good umpiring decisions, actually. I think I make a good umpire, to be fair. I, I, had, I had the worst thing to do as an umpire. I had to give out our opening bat, who was on about 40. He was sweeping, hit his back leg, plum. and it was like so plumb. But I was yeah. like, you're going so well. It's one of them where I think even on my OEW decision, someone on our team was obviously umpiring, and he said, listen, mate, it was too, it was like so plump, it would have been offensive. I had, you know, those ones, the tight ones, you can just say not out for now. Yeah. Um, anyway, that was good fun. And village cricket is great, and we love the sport so much. Uh, but that's our exploits this week. Let's talk about some professional cricket. Um, let's have a catch up, boys. What have we missed? Should we start with 100 that started last night? Because that's fresh in our brains. Um, an awful game, a terrible game of cricket. Uh, I can't. I can. I, I know Southern Brave won. Welsh Fire got like seventy odd, maybe no eighty, a hundred. It was like a run. It was like a runnable, two runnable innings that were really really boring. Um, and I don't know what's the vibe in your boys' mind around the hundred this year. For me, it's like uh, live golf. If you're following this new Saudi league um, in golf, like it's not going to go away and we have to kind of live with it now as part of the ecosystem of cricket. Obviously the hundred isn't funded by Saudis that we're aware of. Um, but I think I've come to accept the hundred for what it is and that it's a great day out when I went, I really enjoyed that, but it just doesn't feel like it's got the warmth of the cricket community yet. I don't know what you boys think about this. Well, I mean, to start off with, they keep doing exceptionally obnoxious things like uh, basically steamrolling uh, over the lovely fantasy draft 100 game, which a lot of folks in the creative community, Zach and I included, were very, very excited to play. Now, I don't know how much of this is speculation or fact or whatever else, but it's quite, it seems to me, from my personal perspective here, quite clear that um, the 100 obviously had their partner with some other fantasy game and in the couple of days leading up to the start of the season like literally like a couple of days ago said to the to the people at the draft who did such a fantastic job with the blast who've been doing a continually continually fantastic job with the county championship who have a professional um, you know machine a professional like mode of playing fantasy sport i can't stress how much i enjoyed it uh playing the blast it was outrageously good um and they've effectively um told them seems from my perspective to um 
they've been told to jog on by the ECB in the 100 because they have this partner with another fantasy game, uh, which was which was released like literally a day or two before the actual tournament started. So little things like that, right, Dan? So I was going to give the 100 time of day. Again, you know, I, I think you, you don't need to go into how ridiculous I think the format is, but I was going to give it a time of day because I love fantasy and I was really buzzing to follow the teams. And Zach and I had a lovely two hours, you know, quick Zoom, just chatting away, making our team. Loads of fun. And most people who play the game had probably already made their team. So people People have already invested time, not to say, not a fraction of the time that the people at the draft have put in planning it, but everyone was really buzzing about this game. And the fact that it was effectively, you know, rug pulled from under it, blindsided at the last minute was ridiculous. And for that reason, among many others, I mean, I am not even going to be watching a second of it. I was tempted to give yesterday's game 30 minutes, but Ireland versus South Africa, as I just mentioned, was a lot more fun. It was T20. I was really enjoying that game. And it was a woeful opening fixture. It so was bad. dull. It was one-sided. It was slow. It was boring. I mean, I looked at the live text and scorecard and stuff, so I had a feel for what was going on. It was tragic. So that is absolute karma. And Johnny Bairstow, effectively giving them the middle finger as well, was fantastic because it is, it's the start they deserve after doing little things like that. Yeah, you're right about that, Glenn, about trying to get the cricket community on side and taking away one of their favourite fantasy games just because they're the bigger behemoth in all of this. doesn't really help, does it? And yeah, they'd have been gutted, like the, the, the people above would have been gutted about that game because they'd all know that was a rubbish game of cricket that doesn't help start the season well, the 100 season. Uh, Zach, 100, 100 thoughts, please. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to give it a go. I'm, I'm going to watch it. I thought yesterday's game was, like you said, Dan, the absolute antithesis of what yeah. they wanted. It's a much more even game if Bearstow plays. It's just, I mean, Welsh Fire did terribly, basically. It was, it was a terrible start. I, I mean, although you can say, I remember there was a couple of years ago when the IPL started in basically the exact same fashion where Chennai spun out. I can't even remember who it was, like they always used to do, for no runs. And it was just like, oh, is, is this what we're watching for two months? I hope tonight's game will be a little bit more exciting, although it's still going to be relatively one-sided. The derby tonight, right? Oval so, well, they're all derbies. All, all these first four games are all derbies. We've got. Oh, I forgot that the... Southern Brave versus Welsh Fire was a, a hotly contested derby. Of course, exactly, oh, I forgot about exactly. that. That's now wound me up a bit more, actually. Yeah, and then we've got the Midlands derby on Saturday, and we've got the Northern derby tomorrow. So, okay. I, I think both of these first two games. If it was down to me, I would have gone the other two games to start with because I think Oval Invincibles are a much stronger side. You know, London Spirit and Welsh Fire are the two weakest teams, so shouldn't have really expected that to be that close. Southern Brave potentially looking a little bit weaker this year because, they've, I mean, not they had Archer last time, but Mills is injured. Garton's been pretty atrocious for the last year since the 100. But, yeah, I think Oval Invincibles, very, very good side. They've basically got all the best Surrey players and then Sunil Narayan and Riley Rousseau. So that's a very good team. I think London Spirit are probably going to be awful again, which is yeah. it's quite funny, it you is. know, having a really bad team. But they were so bad, and that's funny. I feel like every, every tournament needs one of them. You know, the BBL would be nothing without Melbourne Renegades because they're <laughs> terrible. It wouldn't be the same if you didn't have them stinking out the place every time. And, yeah, I'm, I'm obviously backing my Northern Superchargers mm. for the title. DJ Bravo is going to bowl everyone out okay that's kind of the perfect i'm glad we didn't do a preview pod because i think what zach's zach's minute or so there's basically done a me. preview yeah. that's perfect it sums it up. that's all i thought i think it's what everybody needs to know and listen if you want to enjoy the hundreds go good for you enjoy it i think i sit somewhere between gun and zach i'm gonna give it a go but i'm i'm 
they're gonna have to win me over quite hard. I just find it slightly cringe. The, the coverage is a bit cringe. Uh, I, I don't know what it is. It's just it's just a whole it's a jarring experience. And did anyone catch Ollie Pope, who I think was mic'd up for you know good television reasons, telling them to shut up because I think they left the feed in his ear while he was trying to field. Uh, so that was funny. Q sort of you know whenever I hear KP on comms kind of tweets. Um, so yeah, that's our hundred chat basically. Shall we move on there? We've not been on boys since I think we've missed two T20 internationals between England and South Africa. Um, South Africa winning both and winning the series 2-1. Um, general, we, we've done we've done a bit of this now. But I think it's worth wrapping it up because that's the end of the white ball summer, I think, as far as I'm aware it is. Uh, we've got a few test matches and then we're off to Pakistan. Um, the general malaise around the white ball team, it's just been a bit, I don't know what it is. And my theory, and feel, feel free to agree or disagree with this, is it's Jason Roy's fault. Um, and him opening the batting in in the edgiest way possible has just sort of reverberated down the team, and the batting hasn't quite been at it. On the flip side of that, I read a good piece this week saying that actually the bowlers haven't been doing the work, and we should be pointing more at them. And the fact we, we've conceded about one, I think it was 190 plus in all of the T20s this summer so far, something like that. There's been a lot. Um, so there's a lot wrong with this England team, and I want to hear, Glenn, what you think about this, because... Whenever a white ball tournament comes around, and there is one coming up very soon, uh, a T20 World Cup, England are always in the top probably two, maybe three, who have got their hands on it already sort of thing, if you know what I mean. feels like we're nowhere near that right now. feels like we're really not going to really contend at, at the next one at least. Am I being too dramatic? Uh, potentially. Um, I mean, I think what gets me and I imagine us too as well is the frustration around having such a fantastic squad, right? Having an, a really, really talented squad, having effectively you've got backups who are fantastic as well. But you look at that 11 on paper, the one that pretty much was quite similar throughout the India and South Africa uh, home series, um, neither of which obviously we won. Um, and you're just like, why is it not working? Why is it not clicking? Um, we were bowled out in four of our six T20s this summer, which is kind of pathetic if you think in 20 over. I mean, being bowled out, I mean, dare I say, again, we'd love to have the stats on hand here, is relatively rare in t20 in the sense that you know usually if you get games like pretty one-sided sure it might kind of peter out but to be bowled out so consistently in over half of our games in home conditions with a batting lineup over like brimming with talent and exciting batters i mean it just it just feels a little bit pathetic really it just feels like we weren't we weren't fully invested for some reason um there was no cohesion i think you're right as much as we sometimes kind of hate to, you know, pick up on individuals, I think Roy got the every, almost every innings off to such a lackluster start right down. He was edgy. He was tetchy. He was, you know, he just had absolutely no rhythm to his innings. And what this England white ball team has done in recent years, ODIs and T20s, is those opening two batters, Jason Roy, chief among them with Bairstow and or Butler, have absolutely terrified opposition bowlers during the power play by just smashing them out of the game, by getting us off to such a roaring start that it's easy to come in at three, four, five, six because there's runs on the board and we have a high run rate. It completely falls apart when our middle order comes in and they're under pressure because the run rate's already in the 10s, 11s, 12s. And that's where I think the whole plan fell apart. So sure, 
we can blame Jason Roy for getting us off to a bad start. But Dan, I would like to see the calibre of our middle order take some actual responsibility and accountability and pick up Roy Slack. Every single one day player is going to come in and have a bad patch of form. I'm not screaming for Roy to be dropped. I'm screaming for other people in the team to work collectively instead of as individuals. It felt like a very selfish England team this summer. Yeah, I love that point, Glenn. And that's exactly how I feel, I think. And it's interesting that they, the middle order has never had to pick up the slack. And when they were when it was needed to be done, they didn't do it. I think it's a really good point. Zach, your thoughts, do you agree with that? That that Roy's tone setting hasn't helped this summer at all? And again, I do like to emphasize we don't want to really point fingers, but that's what the discussion is about at the minute. Are we being too harsh on him? Is there a wider issue, perhaps? I think Roy's always kind of had a bit of a flawed record in T20 cricket. I feel like he's always been viewed as a player that's... He seemed like he was perfect for T20 cricket because of his 50 over form. But he's never really, like, he was. He had troubles against spin and he kind of sorted that out. He had a good year last year. But, yeah, he's. I, yeah, I think it's probably his time's nearing an end. One interesting one is Liam Livingston's really dropped off in T20Is this summer. Last year he scored 230 runs at a very, very healthy strike rate, averaging 33. This year he's only scored 100, played one extra game this year as well strike rates way down averages down at 14 so obviously he had an unbelievable start to his career he wasn't going to be able to keep that up but he really hasn't performed it's a, it's a big drop off summer. isn't it it's a it's big a, and, drop and then his bowling yeah. as well do you want to chat about his bowling or, or lack thereof they, they seem slightly reluctant to go to him now am i right in saying that or is it just is it just a bit of a fall off in general because he started so hot last year yeah i think the bowling in general is difficult i think he's he's definitely more of a bowler that when when things are going okay, you can try and sneak a couple overs in. I don't think he's England have ever. He's never been thought of as a frontline bowler. He's an, a bowler who can fit a couple overs in. So I think when things are going badly, he's not the type of bowler you want to turn to. He's the type of bowler you want to turn to when things are going okay. They're not going at too. You know, they've not kicked on yet. Let's try and sneak a couple overs in. So yeah, I don't think we can really fight him for his bowling. I think his bowling will be very limited in Australia. To be honest, I can't think of many times when. He bowled that much in, in the big bash. And I think it's more kind of down to whether Ben Stokes comes back in, which I think he will, and his overs being more important in Australia. Kind of, they, but we said this last year that when it came to the UAE, Liam Livingston was kind of the, the Ben Stokes of the UAE for England. And now yes. if we can fit both of them in the side, great. Obviously, Roy potentially is dropping out. Who comes in for Roy? Whether that is just straight stop for... Sw- for ugh, so, sorry. Yeah. Whether that's a straight swap for Stokes or we go, obviously Vince has been having an absolutely fantastic year. Dunno, kind of feel like he's had his chance. One last go, one last go, one more ride for Vince into the sunset. Surely, he he also does have a brilliant record in the Big Bash. I think the Big Bash isn't necessarily the highest quality league, but it's those conditions. conditions yeah, for sure, for sure. That's I, I forgot. That's a good point. That I like that a lot and. The bowling, I don't know what to say about because they've just not been getting wickets, really, have they? There's been no early wickets. There's been no mid-wickets or end-wickets. Um, Chris Jordan's shown what he can do on time and time again. And then when he misses those Yorkers, he goes for a lot. Um, Rashid went back-to-back zero-wicket games at the end of that T20 series. Moeen goes for a bit. You know, where are, There's just no wickets coming from anywhere. And I'm, I'm getting to a point now where we can't... Yes, there's injuries, but like these guys should still be able to do that sort of job, right? 
I think I think for me Rashid is the big worry because he was such a banker. Moeen mm. is is kind of inconsistent. He's decent, you know. Again, he's a decent like if there's two left-handers at the crease, Moeen's a decent option. Yeah. But again, I don't think we should ever, we should ever be in a position where we're like we have to have four overs out of Moeen. Four overs out of Rashid where he goes for, you know, 30 and takes a couple of wickets. That was kind of a banker, like an absolute minimum. Now that seems to have fallen off. The pace bowling is is a big, big worry. We're obviously missing a lot of people. Topley's good. I still can't, I still haven't decided whether he's he is really good or if he's just having one of those summers. Hopefully yeah. it may continue till the end of the year. That's fine. But other than that, the pace bowling's pretty poor. Gleason can bowl quick, but doesn't seem to have any change-ups. So don't know about that i love the story but mm. i think it's not going to work mills is is probably going to be injured don't think we can rely on him wood is aiming to be fit for then as well probably not going to be archer will he ever play for england again the thing is i think this is the thing like that those those were all of our options last year and the pace bowlers we are playing i know you said they should still be doing they should still be able to do a job. They are not good. They're not as good. Yeah. They're not as good a player. And Jordan That's is it. not as good as he was a few years ago. On big grounds in Australia, I've said previously, big grounds in Australia, he can go, should be able to go to the kind of hard lengths, which has been working better for him. That's when he's been better this year. So hopefully we can, we can go to that and Jordan will be okay. Yeah. Bit of an A minus team then, Glenn, with, with the bowlers injured and, not just not quite being there and then you put on top of that the change of captaincy and the change of leadership at the, the coach level as well and it's it's like a transitional period you see it in american sport like a team will be crap for a season because they got new personnel and no draft picks and new coach etc um and maybe we shouldn't be so highly expectant of england when all this is going on yeah i think that's a really good point i think you know you both had some really nice analysis here that i totally agree with it does feel like a you know end of an era a kind of stop and almost talked about the red bull re, you know reset restart mm. well what about the white ball team here mm. i mean i think zach you've pointed out really nicely that it is generally speaking just looking at the scorecard for the last game it's quite in, to some degrees it's maybe quite an aging team that bowling unit especially doesn't seem to have many kind of young guns who you're really buzzing for for the next say five six seven years it seems to be players who are probably just dropping off i arguably maybe jordan people similar to that who played that position who are just maybe dropping off who are just post the peak of their career they're still great on their day they're still world class but they're going to have more bad games across a series and across a tournament than they would have arguably maybe three or four years ago. Yeah. So it even, you know, maybe throw Rashid in there. I'm not saying in any way his quality is fully dipped or anything like that, but at least on form, there does seem to be a correlation between maybe some of the more senior members of the team on at their highest, highest standard, which we're used to seeing, which we're just completely used to seeing. Um, so that's kind of difficult. And again, it just, yeah, you know, is 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 the motivation there? Is the leadership there? It's it's really difficult to kind of piece together the issues here. I do think a bit of young blood, I think, would be really helpful. You know, maybe like a Will Smead or something along those lines, like some really exciting young English players. Just, to, I'm not saying a dropping people across the team or anything but just to inject a bit of new energy into the at least into the unit they tried it with tom banton for example it didn't quite click but gleason is a really interesting example of they're going the other route which i don't disagree with on paper which is you're picking the form people from the domestic league which i like so i liked the gleason was in there i'm not saying age is a factor here at all but i think having watched him in the games I don't think he's quite, I was hoping he would be, but I don't think he's quite at that kind of international calibre that maybe we were hoping. I think you were spot on, Zach, you might have said it. He's quick, he is lightning quick, but he just doesn't seem to have 
possibly the variations that are just going to keep batters honest in that at the absolute highest standard so yeah it just feels like we're slightly post our best team first time we've lost uh, we haven't won a series at home in the white ball since 2013 so you know that's that's almost the end of an era 10 years that's, right? that's an era and that was an awful white ball team wasn't it that went into well mm-hmm. no that was a transitional white ball team at the time in 2013 mm-hmm. so very good um it's interesting how when we were when we had all the new coaches and Rob Key coming in, we were like, ah, the Whitewater team will look after itself. Mott's got the easiest job on the planet. How that's now, how that narrative has entirely changed over a couple of months. But it's uh, it's interesting, and we'll see how they get on. Yeah, just interested. Obviously, I like Glenn's point about young blood, and I think the young bowlers is such an interesting thing because I've, no one comes to mind. No one no, who can bowl at the death comes to mind. No. We, you know, there's always someone in the blast who can who can bowl up top or it generally works but it, the death no one i mean death bowling is just really hard so people lots of people aren't very good at it basically <laughs> to put simply i think the only person who kind of stood out for me would be um scrimshaw but again wasn't bowling at the death he was just you know hard lengths through at the top and in the middle looked really good and we'll be interested to see how he goes in the in the hundred but um yeah other than that i don't and really, then... can't really think of anyone who could come in and don't even start us on spin future spin options when Rashid eventually calls it a day. I mean, there's this real lack of depth at the minute. Rayan Ahmed, maybe? Ah, there we go. Zach's nodding away. I'm excited about him. And he is in the 100, right? Rayan Ahmed? Can someone help me out? Where's he playing? So I can look out for him. Southern Brave. Southern Brave. Him and, him and Linta in the same side. Oh, wow. Spin twins. Love it. I was going to do this to start a part two, but hello, Will. He's just joined us on the chat. Um, before we end part one and go into part two, could you have your 100 thoughts? I just asked the boys at the top, like, just thoughts on the 100 starting now. What what are your vibes around it? And hello. Oh, no, this is this is terrible, but but speaks volumes, probably. I've not watched a ball. I've not. No, we was... It. We were saying, what's your what, what what's your like what's your plan to maybe? Oh, okay, that's even until worse. someone posted in the Rainstop play chat because I just hadn't paid attention. And that's. I remember last year you were, weren't you at the first game? You gave us that lovely mm. little video report outside the ground afterward. What a change in a year! Oh, and that's kind of that's actually a really interesting point that I almost wanted to make. That like we had the hype of it last year of like wow, new talk. Well, not wow, new talk, but like I'm, we're fascinated. Like we've just found some kind of weird dead animal near the near the train tracks with poking it with a stick. What is this? What is the hundred? And now we're kind of bored of that. And that kind of you kind of sum that up perfectly there. Yeah, when it's shiny and new, everyone's inherently interested. And as soon as it isn't, the novelty wears off. But I still think, like, fundamentally, I think someone had a good tweet on that on that yesterday, who I can't credit because I don't remember who it was. But basically to the effect of, like, it's enjoyable enough because it's cricket, so I'll watch it. And I am still excited. To, I'm going to get tickets for the Oval for one of the games. Um, cause, and, I, and still all about the doubleheaders. No? Sold out. They're all sold out. They're all sold out. Yeah, which is kind of I mad. got my really. I got my Get... game. I got my first game tickets the night before last year. Yeah, which is interesting, but careful because at Southampton last night they said it was sold out, and that's if if five thousand people came dressed as seats, then yeah, that's fair. But um, I don't. You know, you might be able to sneak a ticket here or there. Okay, really quickly to wrap up part one after that quick hundred chat. The Commonwealth Games is happening uh, in Birmingham. I've been to a few events. It's a fan. It's, it's got Birmingham's got the the twenty twelve Olympic buzz. Nowhere else outside of Birmingham, but Birmingham has. I went to the beach volleyball as you do. Uh, great fun. Uh, Zach, you've been watching a bit of the Commonwealth Games. Obviously, women's T Twenty cricket all happening at Edgebaston. Games have been fairly well attended, from what I can tell. I think the the Commonwealth Games largely has had very good attendances from the great people of Birmingham and the surrounding Midlands. Um, talk us through what, what's happened, if anything interesting, and where we where we're at coming out of the pool games now. I think. 
Yeah, so we're coming out of the group stage. Uh, there's one more game which will have happened by the time you listen to this, which is unfortunate timing. England are playing against New Zealand. That will decide who tops their group and who then. Both those teams are through. Australia and India are through in the other group. No real surprises. South Africa look quite bad in general. They did batter Sri Lanka this morning, though. Australia very good. Australia had a real scare in their first game against India, though. They were like 40 for five and really struggling. But it's good that they backed down to 10. So they managed to get over the line there pretty comfortably in the end. Yeah, I'm going to a game on Saturday. It is the second semi-final, but they haven't said whether it's, you know, like first group A versus second group B or anything like that. Yeah, that's TBA, which is really annoying me. I keep checking (laughs) being like... Am I seeing Australia or am I seeing India? I mean, either way, it should be a good game. So I'm looking forward to it. And I will be in Birmingham soaking up the atmosphere. For- yeah, mate, the games are awesome. Get stuck in. There's there's a good vibe around the place at the minute. Um, and the final for that is on the Sunday, I think. So we'll have some medalists, which is good fun. Good luck to England. Uh, that was about to do for part one then. Uh, in part two, we're going to have a big pitch inspection talking about cricket for the next 20 years. Um, we'll see you in a minute. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, welcome back to part two. Thank you for joining us. Uh, next 30 minutes or so, a uh, big pitch inspection where we dive deep into an article that's interested us uh, this week. Um, and as I said, at the end of part one, we're talking big here. We're going big picture. Um, and the the relationship between T20 domestic leagues and international cricket and how that's sort of starting to change and starting to weigh more in favour of domestic leagues, getting this time off in the year and how we're going to sort it, basically. Uh, Will, I'm going to let you start. And I rudely didn't introduce you. <laughs> well, no, I sort of jettisoned you into part one unannounced. But welcome to the, to, to the podcast and uh, help us out with this piece because there's a lot of discourse to be had here. Thank you. Yeah, I think this is really, really interesting. So credits to Tim Wigmore for writing these for, for us. He, he did it specifically so that we could discuss yes. it on the podcast. He's yes. good like that. Cheers, Tim. Um, but he's yeah, he's been prolific in the last uh, the last week or so writing two articles about kind of the rise of player power and franchise cricket and potentially elbowing out some of the international games. So the most recent of those has the great headline, the rising power of T20 leagues and the death knell for international cricket, which starts with a pretty punchy sentence that I think we can get stuck into because I, I think there's a lot of arguments that could be made about this. But he starts by saying the long golden age of international cricket is at an end. And the argument being kind of as we know, franchise cricket taking up increasingly more of the annual schedule, less time for international cricket potentially. 
Um, and he previously in the first piece reports on this story that um, franchise teams, in particular from the IPL, are trying to contract players now for 12 months. So, you know, in the same way that we've seen in various leagues around the world, Venky Mysore from KKR in the IPL is obsessed with buying as many teams as he possibly can. Uh, they will just contract people to say you're playing in every single franchise league around the world for our affiliate teams. That's the idea. And there's some interesting things in this piece. For example, like he kind of he kind of shuffles in there that he wants the hundred to open itself up to private investment so that they can buy a team in the hundred. Which I don't know will that ever happen. Um, but there's some. I mean, the in some ways the case makes itself. So Tim writes evidence of the shift is not hard to find. So he cites, for example. South Africa recently cancelling ODI matches in Australia so that they can um, have their own new T20 tournament. He cites David Warner reportedly requesting to be released from his Cricket Australia contract for the height of the home summer so that he can play in the UAE T20 league. So in a way, there's lots of kind of things in there that I think are hard to disagree with. Certainly, you know, in some ways it makes sense to move towards a lot more of the calendar being franchise cricket. We kind of expect that based on the trends that we've seen is the ultimate destination for that, that cricket starts to look a bit more like football with international World Cups and key test series punctuating what is fundamentally a club cricket year based around the franchises. I enjoyed that analogy he brought up and it's such an interesting idea and like it, it's such a good analogy for us, especially all as football fans that I can I can process how that looks and feels now. I can I can plot cricket into that. Um and there is so much evidence. And Zach, there is more evidence of this becoming a thing, right? Um more teams like like South Africa are cancelling these bilateral series to prioritize or not or not cancel bilateral series, but controlling their players and making sure they're at their their series. Is is there's more of that coming out now, right? Yeah, I think yesterday the PCB announced they wouldn't be giving the so so basically the way it works. I'm sure, most people know, but in case you don't, uh, to play in a league in another country, uh, your board that you're contracted to has to give you a knock. It's called a no objection certificate. So uh, India never obviously grants them for, for players. That's why they can't play. And usually it's just kind of like a formality that you're allowed to play in a different league. So the PCB is banning players from going to. Uh, the Big Bash because the Big Bash is doing a different draft this year. There was talk that there were going to be, you know, Shaheen was going to be there, Rizwan was going to be there and would have been huge for the Big Bash, but they're not going to now. And this is going to cause a big problem because basically the PCB doesn't pay the players that much. They, You know, they're on quite a lot of money, but they're not going to be on anywhere near as much money as they could be if they can go freely to play in other leagues. So I think it's going to come to a head and potentially potentially it might not even be a thing by the end of the year that they can't play, but keep an eye on uh, Pakistan cricket relations because I think that could be a big a big topic moving forward and obviously relating to this. That's a tasty one. Could we, you know, if we accept that this is going to happen, that we get a sort of club format, could players then become independent contractors away from their country? Are we seeing, are we going to see that sort of shift whereby David Warner is employed by, I'm using it as an example because he's trying to do this, I think, is not affiliated with Austra Australia, isn't paying his wages every year. It's, the the Knight Riders franchise and then he's released from that franchise to play for his country. Are we going to see that switch pretty soon, does anyone think? I, th I think we could. Do. I think the, the David Warner one's really interesting because obviously the, the, the main thing with it is that the UAE League is going to be in the middle of the Big Bash. But David Warner hasn't played for, in the Big Bash for 10 years, has no affiliation with the league because he doesn't play it. it, it Australia are always playing during the Big Bash, which is kind of a bit of a problem. So Australia's best players never do. Well, particularly their multi-format players. So he's 
wants to be able to play in this UAE league, but it would be huge for Australia to let him play in a league at the peak of their summer. Because in January, you know, it's the peak of the Australian summer. They want, they usually have white ball series at that time. They also have the big bash going on. To allow him to just disappear and play in a different league would be something they're not going to do. But I think at his age, if it was in a year's time, he'd, he'd retire from international cricket. But because there's a home World Cup, he won't now, but next year he might. That's really interesting. And that I'm going to bring the golf analogy again. These players going off to the live tour to earn their money, they're like, that league can't stop me. Well, they're not retiring from the PGA Tour. They're, they're, they're taking away their membership. It's a fascinating idea. And I didn't even know, in reading this piece, that we've got... This, I knew about the South African League starting in January. We've got this, what's it called, International T20 League that's happening in the UAE. So that then leaves with the big block in January... We've got the IPL, which is somehow... Why is it extending up to two and a half months? Is, they, is there more teams coming? Or do they just want more space? There, I think we think there will be more teams. That's why it's they're sort of nudging yet, their elbows yeah. out a little bit. So that means we'll have this sort of January period of the Big Bash and South Africa and someone else. The IPL in its window where no international cricket happens. We have... We being England have the 100 in August... When's their time left for international cricket to happen? Will it? Will it happen? And you said, Will, that like it'll be punctuated with World Cups and and in Portland and top three teams test series or bilateral series, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's helpful to kind of t- take a little bit of a step back here because first of all, I do have to take issue with our dear friend Tim Wingmore in that first sentence which I quoted. Has this really been the golden age of international test cricket? Or actually, is the reason that franchise cricket has come into this gap because there are pretty systemic failings in the way that international cricket works? We're already kind of heading towards a place where test cricket is dominated by three or four, maybe five top countries who all play each other because that's where the money is and that's what they want to do. We're already in a place where most of these other nations who are trying to start up their franchise leagues are doing so because they weren't really getting anything out of the old regime of international cricket. So that's why they have it that have an interest to go and do that. So I don't think it's the case that international cricket was in this perfect bill of health and now franchise cricket is trying to have a revolution, turn it all over. But first point. The other thing that I think is interesting about this is that there are a range of different players who have power here, right? So you've got the national cricket boards, you've got players, and you've got your real franchise titans. And they all kind of want different things, and sometimes those things are in alignment, right? So in the in the obvious early days of franchise cricket, they you know teams owned by incredibly wealthy people who are able to pay massive salaries that you don't see anywhere else in cricket. Therefore, players have an obvious interest in going to play that league. Player power wins out. International teams aren't able to stop their players going to play the IPL. That's what we've seen. That makes total sense. Now we're in a place where national boards like South Africa, you could argue like England with the 100, feel like they're missing out on a piece of the pie. They know the money is in the franchise league, therefore they're trying to get into that. I don't know that any of that necessarily lends itself to what I appreciate looks like the logical conclusion of that progress, which is you end up at a 12-month club-style franchise cricket circuit. Is that really in the players' interests? Maybe. I'd suggest not for most of the players that would be playing international cricket, particularly test cricket. I don't think they want to go and play 12 months of franchise cricket. So, you know, I, I, I'm making a judgment here, but I think that at the point where you've got your IPL, your big bash, you know, your PSL deal, you're, you're probably getting towards 
the point where you're happy if you're that kind of cricketer. On the other hand, if you're one of the franchise cricket circuit players who doesn't really have access to international cricket, if you're if you're a Paul Sterling or a Rashid Khan, this is fantastic for you. Of course, this is what you'd want. So I don't know that it's quite the apocalyptic model of like we're going to move from international cricket to 12 month franchise cricket. I think it's a bit more diverse than that and a bit more like, OK, there will be 12 month franchise cricket for that circuit of players. But that's not that dissimilar to what we have now. But you'll still have on top of that your top class international cricket for an increasingly small group of countries and players. But that's the trend we're seeing anyway. Really good points, Will. And I completely agree. It's not gonna, It's not necessarily going to benefit. I think the really interesting thing is when the Indian players come into it, because obviously there's talk about the Indian players potentially being allowed to, and it's kind of being allowed to play maybe for another team that's obviously owned by the same team. There's a what's it called the the delhi De- delhi capitals now have pretoria capitals and dubai capitals which obviously doesn't work because dubai is not the capital which <laughs> obviously frustrating for everyone yeah but, they've hamstrung uh, themselves with that name yeah <laughs> they can only buy the team base in a capital now well can't it just be the dubai daredevils come on guys let's go oh, back let's good. go back to basics but the indian players obviously at the moment they have so much reliance on the bcci allowing them to play in the IPL basically so you know say I don't know why he's in my head but say someone who doesn't necessarily play every game for India Deepak Huda is the only person I can think of that's kind of like in that kind of pretty decent in the IPL but not if he said I want to go and play in other leagues at this stage they would just be like fine you can never play for India or the IPL and because of the money in the IPL at this point that's that's not going to work for him. But as these other leagues increase the amount of money they're getting, and if you get a 12-month contract, that means you play in other leagues, it kind of shifts the balance of power away from the BCCI and towards basically these owners who are obviously owning IPL teams. And it benefits the IPL team owners because then if they can have this con- continuity with their Indian players, which obviously is the biggest market, and international players as well, their brand is just going to go up and up and up. You look at RCB, for example, so much of their brand is is we have Virat Kohli, basically. Chennai, we have MS Dhoni. So, and if they can do that and not it just be two months of a year, then it works so well for them. It's such an interesting dynamic and I'd be fascinated to see, because you're right, we're, we're almost at that stage anyway, where there is, tw- there is pretty much 12-month franchise cricket, but it's just that the IPL and the Big Bash sit above as an elite league. And I think Tim in his piece says that if we did move to this sort of club model, leagues would still dominate, a la the Premier League and La Liga, and other leagues would sit beneath that and it would still work as a sort of system like that. Um, I want to hear your thoughts on this because, you know, I, to me, it feels like we're lo- I don't want to lose international cricket. I'm just so, I'm so used to this calendar we've got where international cricket and then people go out to clubs. What would you think if all of a sudden we were at a stage where people played for clubs or franchises and got, you know, released for their international breaks, as it were, again, to bring this football analogy back? Yeah, I'm just kind of meditating here and soaking up what's a really fascinating discussion and two really good pieces of writing from uh, Tim Wigmore, which have kind of sparked this. Um, yeah, I think, we've, you know, Will, you've done a really uh, nice job of kind of uh, summing up who the stakeholders are here. I also think like cricket fans as well. It's worth like kind of just taking a step back and thinking about that. 
I mean, Dan, so you just said right from a personal perspective that, you know, you don't want international cricket to maybe fade away. And although that may be like maybe an extreme end of this, and I like uh, Will trying to keep it a bit more circumspect and say, OK, it's, it's part of this bigger picture. And you're right to say, Will, that the international cricket has been failing many countries. It's been benefiting, generally speaking, the kind of uh, you know elite kind of, you know, Australia, England, India for, 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 for decades and decades now. We know that something that did jump out to me that was particularly depressing from from uh, one of uh, Tim Wigmore's article was um, a quote here. When Cricket West Indies hosted Sri Lanka and Bangladesh in 2018, it lost an extraordinary net 22 million from the two series. I mean, so where on earth could there be an incentive for West Indies to host smaller, kind of quote unquote, you know, it's kind of cricketing hierarchy terms, unfortunately, maybe, you know, from a TV perspective, less um, favoured nations such as Sri Lanka and Bangladesh, if they're literally losing money to do it. So yeah, the current model is 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 disproportionately benefiting the kind of cricketing giant nations, as, as you could argue. Yet at the same time, obviously, I, I do have really deep concerns about, you know, a, a very small uh, kind of cartel arguably of IPL franchise owners buying up effectively I guess you could say you know franchise league real estate in other countries I mean a from a fan perspective to get back to my first point it's going to be exceptionally boring I don't want to see a watered down IPL in South Africa or UAE or wherever else what I loved about the PSL is that it had its own identity that it obviously was vibrant it was fun I got to see some Pakistan domestic players I hadn't really watched much of before the thought of seeing for example Riley Rousseau plying his trade for four different franchises across the world doesn't particularly interest me at all right it just it just doesn't do much for me and I just do have this concern about a very small group of investors getting more and more and more wealthy by by effectively extracting profit from other countries through this kind of contracted franchise model. So I do have deep concerns about that. So yeah, I'm kind of in the middle in the sense that yeah, the current international kind of uh, scheduling, it doesn't work. I'm also curious, I mean, maybe maybe what you'll think here about players as well, right? So we've also, we've already had folks like Ben Stokes and others, for example, Johnny Best, I'm missing the 100, stepping back because they can't simply keep up with the amount of international commitments with their franchise stuff as well. So they're having, there's a kind of dialectic push and pull there, but you're just adding more and more franchises. You're not magicking up more and more equally high quality players. This is my concern. So who wants to watch a watered down IPL in somewhere else in the middle of the winter? I'm just not sure there's the base for that. And that, as Tim Wigmore says, that's why previous leagues, such as a previous attempt to build a T20 league in South Africa did fail because they realized the base of spectators wasn't necessarily there. So I just don't know if it's even going to necessarily function in maybe the way that this 12-month contract, it might sound so alluring for these owners, but where's the base? You know, where's the maybe international fan base to watch these games? 100%. I think that's a great point. And also, it... What these guys seem to think is that once you've bought up a couple of franchise leagues and you're like, okay, we're at the point where people love watching T20 cricket in the IPL, the Big Bash, a couple of other leagues around the world, right? And they and they make this argument, like, that's what people want to watch. That's what gets the TV numbers. That doesn't go on for an infinite length of time, right? As Glenn is saying, you hit uh, you hit a point where there's the saturation, right? There's only so much franchise cricket you can take before you fans are just like, well, I watched the IPL this year. I watched the Big Bash. You know, maybe I've gone to some hundred games. Like, why? Why are you then tuning in to see the same set of players in January in T20 League? It's just not going to happen. But, but the interest there is absolutely clear, which is that these owners, as Glenn is saying, want as much of that market as humanly possible to the because this is why they're saying things like, "Oh, the hundred needs to open itself up to private 
investment, right? They're looking for new sites of accumulation. They're looking for more places they can make a profit, dominate the entire world. And I think it is important to say that, you know, the the tone of Tim's piece, and I'm not criticizing him for this because I think it's the tone that lots of people have when they look at the situation is, well, this is just the logic of what's happening, right? And, and in some ways it is, right? It's an extrapolation of trends that we've seen. But it is important for fans to look at their own national boards and say, well, you know, these are not just like, natural trends right these are decisions that people are making boards at some point have to stand up for themselves if they want international cricket to be a thing right and you can't just kind of roll over and be like oh well there's lots of eyeballs on t20 these billionaire owners internationally want access to our markets let's open up the 100 and let them buy a team right that's how you end up with the premier league logic in football which is like well football's now a business we have to get all this investment 10 years down the line 20 years down the line you've got roman abramovich owning a club right you've got complete disasters you've got the the Saudi prince owning Newcastle, right? Does cricket want to be in that situation? I would suggest not, in which case national boards have to actually make the decisions and recognise their own power here. To your point there on saturation, and it's true, isn't it? Because it's almost like whatever league got here first, the IPL, is just going to always stay at the top. There's just, The hierarchy feels set and there almost isn't any, there doesn't feel like there's any room for any more. Was there an old South African league then? And this is like a relaunched one they're doing coming up. Is that what this is? Because I don't remember that they've, old South African league. They've tried it about five times and not. And what do they expect? To, and, and, and what do they expect to happen this time then? Because they're retaining their players by calling the series off, they're expecting more interest from it, right? Or is it just going to be the same situation again? No, no, no. They've just sold all the franchises to IPL owners, so it will be fine this time. Oh, so they've got money back because it. of that. But actual interest will wane or be the same. Yeah, I, I think I think interestingly you talk about saturation, and I completely understand that from from kind of like our view of it. I you know I love cricket, I love franchise cricket, but I do get fed up sometimes <laughs> of it constantly <laughs> being on. We've had the discussion many times. There is too much cricket. Simple as. But do do we think everyone else feels this way? I know a lot of people in England potentially do, but like, say you're an Indian fan and you are a Delhi Capitals fan, we've already mentioned them today. Say you're a massive Delhi Capitals fan. I want to be able to see Delhi Capitals play more than two months a year. Like, so I'm a Yeovil Town fan. I don't want to just watch Yeovil two months a year. To be honest, I don't really want to ever watch them because they're so bad. But, <laughs> but I would want to watch them go on, go on well. Sorry. Well, here's what I would say then. Do you, would you rather watch essentially an eight month long Yeovil preseason tour of countries around the world? Potentially not. No, I mean, it might be more exciting than, than watching them, you know, where it's gone up on Saturday, though. <laughs> I just think so. I mean, I've said this before in relation to the IPL, that I think they're starting to. I think that, you know, obviously the pandemic, of course, changed things. And, you know, you they went into the bubble that first year, totally understandably. But we've now had. You know, you went. You had a gap of like two and a half years without any cricket in the vast majority of stadiums around India. I think they're getting a bit complacent about the way that you know, like like Glenn is saying about the PSL. Like a huge part of the brand is it's vibrant, it's exciting. You know, it, it has its own culture and its own life. I, I, and yeah, of course, the TV does are a huge part of that. But I don't think you can just sell this kind of totally sanitized commercial product around the world and expect people to tune into that. Maybe I'm wrong, but I just don't. I just don't believe it. Well, how, how about the US market uh, and that launching? Is that 
this year, Glenn nodding next 2023, you know, is that, is that not a market of people that would be keen on this and they kind of understand that already? Well, I mean, yeah, potentially as we've discussed, you know, on our, our, our special podcast about cricket in America, which, um, which I was delighted to, to make. And we heard from some really, really um, informative voices uh, in the U S game, you know, obviously, you know, T20 is going to be the model to maybe introduce cricket to nations, i.e. the U S where it isn't a huge part of the, of the current sports space. So yeah, T20 itself. Absolutely. But yeah, I do have this concern that as I kind of touched on earlier, that it's just, you know, we've got the, you know, the Knight Riders investing in, uh, in major league cricket over here again, you know, due to start next year, it does kind of feel like a lot of, you know, this select group of owners have seen how ridiculously profitable the IPL is, right? It is an absolute, you know, franchise the IPL is, were, is growing on a bigger, on a, uh, the brands are growing on a, on a quicker and bigger level than NFL brands at this point. Like IPL, if you only, if you own an IPL team, that, you know, the the the, the, the growth is almost unlimited It's it, for, at this moment in time. So it does just feel like it's just this select group of people looking for new frontiers of capital, right? For new places to kind of come in, run these leagues. And okay, well, if in the US context, sure, you might get a couple of people, as you kind of touched on, Zach, who, you know, Kolkata Knight Riders, okay, well, there's no IPL season, we can turn to the US and watch some cricket there. But for fans, you know, I'm really intrigued. I don't have a magic answer here, but I'm really intrigued to see, you know, domestic fans in these countries, South Africa, uh, and maybe the US especially, like, is there going to be a connection? Okay, well, there's a kind of maybe a Kolkata Knight Riders franchise, say in California, for example. Um, you know, what are maybe just Californian kind of sports fans going to say about that? They might not have this kind of huge attachment to this kind of giant, giant wide infrastructure of a certain franchise. So could that potentially be alienating? Or I don't know if they're maybe overselling the brand in places where that isn't the connection, because obviously in the IPL, absolutely. And yeah, is the, 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 the football kind of parallel with, with the Oval is interesting as well, Zach. But I was like, yeah, where are the bases of fans going to be? I'm, I'm just really intrigued at this point. But yeah, I, I am a little bit apprehensive as well that we're just going to get cookie cutter leagues that just end up being very disposable, being very transactional and disposable. And they're not being a huge amount of, of, of real, again, you know, vibrancy and character to some of these leagues. That, that's my worry at the minute. Do you think, Glenn, though, it could go the other way, potentially? Say you're a fan of the Kentucky Knight Riders from Major League Cricket. How, sorry, how long were you thinking of a state beginning with K to do that? I saw you, I saw you glaze over for a minute. <laughs> I, quick, I was trying good, to think Zach. of a place very in California good. and then was like, no, don't know enough places in no. California because we've mentioned California. So say <laughs> you're a good. fan of the Kentucky Knight Riders and you want to, and, and then you watch, say, first first year of Major League Cricket, you get into cricket, you watch it, and then you could easily then, oh, you switch on your TV a few months later, the IPL's on. Oh, it's a it's a Knight Riders team. Oh, obviously that's the team I'll support, kind of thing. Could that, it could potentially go the other way. I completely agree. I, I think it probably won't, but there is a potential that there's some people who would be, uh, you know, that, gain the finish and then keep it going. That's what these owners are thinking, right? That's what they want to happen. Well, yeah, yeah that's their yeah their best case scenario exactly it's 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 exactly having almost you know growing in a different country and then in a you know, in a way kind of redirecting some of that traffic some of those new fans back to the kind of pole which in this case would be which would be India so it's yeah it's it, it, it's interesting it's such a it's such a great debate I'm just yeah I am on the apprehensive side and but yeah and I mean I would love to it would be great if we could you know chat to some fans the, the South African League I'm really interested by just because of its previous kind of succession of failures which didn't which didn't even get 
get to the, the the one before this, they didn't even get a bowl ball. They just gave up before the tournament had even started. So I'm really intrigued to see, you know, th- again, this is, you know, for, for um, you know, we're four guys, generally speaking, with a kind of love for cricket in the in England. And obviously with, with, with Will, you know, we have got a great connection to the IPL and we're fans of that. But for, you know, South African fans looking at this new league, are they going to want this attachment to an IPL? Or would they say, well, the IPL is great, but we really do want to do our own thing. We want to have, you know, South African owners and South African teams. I'd be really intrigued. Or does it not matter? Do they want, and this is what I think some of the IPL owners are kind of hoping, do they just not want the best caliber of cricketer possible? And to make that happen, you're going to need Kolkata Knight Riders funding. That's where they're going with the Major League Cricket model, I think, where we are going to need huge flows of capital to ensure the quality of cricket's good. If it works, fantastic but if it doesn't you're left with a lot of losing you're losing a lot of money at a really quick pace and then and my final thing i'll say if you know ipl owners in south africa in the usa wherever else if they decide well this was a wash this isn't profitable and withdraw all that capital you're almost left in a worse place from when you started you've gone back 10 steps then because in your country this domestic league's been seen as a failure and that has consequences beyond one league that has consequences for growing the sport for the next decade I think, Glenn, a very good point to end on there, to leave our listeners to go away and think. And how, how do you feel? Are you are you in one of these countries, this, one of these leagues coming up? Would you want that? Do you want it to be South African cricket teams for South Africans? Do you want to get really <laughs> brexit about it? Or are you happy with this uh, IPL influence? I don't know. Uh, I didn't mean to get all nationally there. Um, uh, do let us know. You can follow us on Twitter, at RainStopPod. And on there you will find, and I should have this at the top, uh, but we'll see how many people we get actually listening to the end of our podcast. The FPL League's open, um, and the prize this year is to come and talk to us for an hour. So um, no wonder it's going to be a, a huge league. Do join us. We love our fantasy football, um, and it'd be a pleasure to have you on board for the next year. Uh, but I think that'll about do for this one, boys. An enjoyable catch-up, a great chat about the state of cricket. And I'm sure that won't be the last of this big uh, what is going on with international cricket. Where's it going to sit? There is too much cricket chat. Uh, so that'll do. But uh, Will, thank you for joining us. Great chatting with you. Thank you. Glenn, thank you very much. Cheers. And Zach, I bid you farewell. Thank you, Dan. Just quickly, uh, were you saying there's too much cricket and we're going to chat about it or is there too much cricket chat? No, there's never too much cricket chat. There is too much cricket. Good. We'd be out of a job. <laughs> there's probably yeah, be out of a job. And there, and in fact, I'm going to slip that. There isn't enough cricket chat. We need more cricket chat. Uh, so do join us for more cricket chat. Uh, over the rest of the year of course thank you very much for listening we'll be back very soon goodbye for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, 
Did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.